Imagine trying to make profound social change in a country far away from your home. Then, imagine trying to do this as a refugee, having fled a war zone. Then, imagine having the courage to not only be a change maker, but then finding that you needed to upend the very system in which you were making change and call out the racism that you constantly face doing your work. Today's Changemaker Chat is with Aminata Conte-Bijeu. Aminata is the founder and CEO of a major foundation called the Aminata Maternal Foundation that seeks to do something about the terrible maternal health outcomes in her home country of Sierra Leone. She grew up in Sierra Leone and eventually escaped as a refugee following the war. In Australia, she's also been a vocal advocate for refugees and now a leader in civil society. Today, she gives a frank account of how hard that journey has been, and in particular, how difficult it's been to confront the racism that she has faced. Today's episode is part expose and part call to action for how we can change the very space of change making. So let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Changemakers also runs an organising school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Hello, Emanata. Welcome to Changemakers Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is a really privilege for me to be here. I'm really excited. And not just a privilege to be here on the show, but here with me in the studio. In the studio, in flesh. <laughs> it's like face-to-face returns. Yeah. Yes. It's so exciting. So if you could start, Aminata, by telling us, you know, you've done a lot of interesting things in your life, including being a change maker. What kind of work do you do that causes change in the world? I think from since last year, I started introducing myself, not just as a CEO and a founder of the Aminata Metuna Foundation, but now as a um, somebody who wants to restore dignity to humanity. And that brought upon the work of the Aminata Metuna Foundation that focused on ending infant maternal mortality in Sierra Leone, a country that has the highest infant maternal mortality in the world. So, Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Why would you care about Sierra Leone, <laughs> right? Tell us why you why? have chosen this topic. Well, it's a long story, I'm sure. I am a proud, proud Sierra Leonean. I was born and, and raised by my father. I was born in the capital city, Freetown, and left to come to Australia in um, 2000. So, um, yeah, so very proud of the country. And so what of your experience in, in Sierra Leone, particularly your childhood, I'm thinking, do you think, what, you know, what lessons did you learn, insights did you gain from that time there, right, from, from your time in Sierra Leone that helped this inspiration to want to make change in the world come alive in you? 
Um, my childhood in growing up with my father and three other siblings is just always full of joy. And I'm um, just happy memories and love and protection and education, respect, anything that you will um, people would think of when they are here in Australia or any part of the world. I was brought up by my father, uh, the most incredible human being that ever exists, I, I believe. And uh, my father was very unusual, as people have read my book, Rising Heart, um, especially for an African father, a man, education was extremely important to him and especially for his daughters. He wanted us to have education and live our life. And he had, I think he had this feeling that we will all live different part of the world. Um, he he really instilled that in us. And, and the other thing was respect for ourselves, but also another human being. So that was very, like, in the core center, how we talk to people, how we respect them. Like, we will get into huge trouble. That, that would be the worst thing that we would do if someone was to say that we disrespect them. So that was very core of who we are. But also, um, I think when I be living now in the Western world, um, my dad never really tell us how much he loved us. He showed how much he loved us by providing and by making sure that we are, we feel secure and provided for. And, um, and I think that has been something that has really, in my journey here in the Western Wall in Australia, has really laid a foundation for who I am. Integrity was, again, these are words that we have in the English language, but in, in the, way, the way I was brought up, my father is like, integrity is about what you know you've done right. It's not about what people know you've done right. So that means it really helped me not to prove myself to people. And which is what we we consumed by in the Western world. I don't have any desire, absolutely no desire to to prove myself to people. I know that I've done right, and I know that I'm doing better. And that was what was important. And I've treated somebody with the same respect that I want to be treated by. And um, gosh, I didn't know the value of that until I moved. Um, to a country like Australia where I don't have any family. I didn't have any family apart from my sister. And that has been what success looked like for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So actually there was this foundation of yes. love yes. In, inside of you. Inside, inside. And also I think what um, I was not prepared for, my father will always say to us, when you walk in the room, you are the most important person that ever walked in that room but you're not important than anybody else. And every time I say that, that gives me uh, t almost teary, make me have teary because I didn't understand what that, val that meant until when I, st when I walk in a room without any intention, I know that I'm here. Yeah. I don't need to be recognized. I don't need to be um, acknowledged by anyone. And that feel of that has been the liberation of um, my very existence, and that is, oh my gosh, it's power, it's freedom, and that um, that is something I want to pass on to my kids. That I am not, I am the most important being in that space, but I am not important than anybody else. So, I hope I can pass that piece to my children. <laughs> mm. 
And what I hear in that is that you feel that there's a sense in which you can carry your own destiny, Mm. Mm. right? That that you can actually make choices based on your strength. Yes. Um, But also this idea of dignity that you said at the beginning is also so early on Mm. part of you. Yes. And not knowing the word for it, but it's just a feeling, you know, because I've been taught and I've seen it. So it was not even a word for it. So it took me a while for me to get into all the, the English word of things. And um, because people ask me, well, how do you have this? How do you feel like, how do you get so joyful? And I don't particularly have the words. And I'm like, sometimes I feel like I don't need the words. If you see me and you feel like that's authentic, well, that's really how I'm living. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We're, we're going to get to this lost in translation <laughs> kind of stuff that's yes. possibly part of your journey later in the story. But I wonder if you might also talk about, I mean, things changed in Sierra Leone. Yes. And you came to Australia as a refugee. Can you mm. tell us about how, how those experiences, the change, the war in Sierra Leone, has informed your interest in making change? Well, things changes in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone had um, over 11 years of civil war. And in 1999, January 6, um, the rebels, rebels finally attacked the capital city, which which is where I grew up. Just a bit of a content, I was um, kidnapped in the hands of my dad, which was something that really destroyed my dad for, for somebody who was extremely protective. And um, a, a reason, the reason why they kidnapped girls, it was to be, they were to be used as sex slave and as a human shield, meaning that when they fight, when the governments and the rebels fight, the rebels, we use the civilians and give them guns, and then we become the casualty. So that was my life for several months. I still can't remember how many months I was kidnapped for. Sometimes I think three. Sometimes my friends I was kidnapped with thinks it's more than that, seven. But it was the most intense time. And I was very, very blessed. Um, I got released by an exchange um, between the government and the rebels. We run out of food and medication, and that became that exchange became became the catalog of the catalyst of the the peace resolution in Sierra Leone. Um, after that, I flew to Guinea Conakry, and I end up in in beautiful Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and so you came to Australia and before you began the Maternal Health Foundation, you actually, I mean, I, I've read your book and I see yes. see in your story, you being a change maker here as a refugee, you've, you've, you did a lot of work and found a voice yes. in your story as a refugee. How, how, did, how did that, how was that part of your journey? Like, how did that make a difference? Well, when I came to Australia, I always... One one other lesson my dad always taught us, to whom much is given, much is required. So when I came to Australia, I knew that I wanted to be part of something. You know, I, I believe we all have that in us. There's something in us that's screaming that you want to be part of, but you don't have words, you don't know where to start. And we were the first refugee that resettled in Australia. So I end up going to church and found my beautiful Dwyer and the family. It's an Australian family that just took me on. And I think that set again another foundation for me because the father, Michael Dwyer, who I call dad here, uh, was involved in UNHCR. And UNHCR was the, what is the organization that was responsible for me to come to Australia. So he started inviting me to dinner and lunches and things, and I started going there. And then I'm like, oh, I want to give back to this organization because they brought me here. And I started volunteering, and I just go like, I'll volunteer. And sometimes I used to work in the city in fashion. On my lunch break, <laughs> I'll go and volunteer. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> and just doing envelopes and so, and they didn't know um, the, the my story in depth. And as I get to be there, I met a wonderful woman called Maureen Collins, who was the first person that I kind of told my story that was kidnapped and thought to me, oh, would you like to share your story? And I don't know why I said yes, but I said yes. And and I think the journey started from there on. I became uh, an ambassador for UNHCR and started sharing my story in ref- uh, as a mirror to the women who had who had gone to what I've gone to because through my work with UNHCR, I find I find it so inc- amazing that there were people coming to this event that did not know where Sierra Leone was, and yeah. we've gone to the most vicious war, current um, that was like before even the the war ended and still did not know where Sierra Leone was. So I was like, wow, okay, maybe telling my story will make will bring a reflection or awareness to the country. So that's how my journey started. And so you began with mm. this advocacy around your country and yes. your people and 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 trying desperately to educate yes. Australians <laughs> to wake up to the fact that we're part of a world and maybe we didn't want to pay attention to some of the other trauma that was going on mm. in another place. But you eventually came to express your energy for change making in a foundation for maternal health focused on Sierra Leone. Tell us about how that came alive in you, how that insight arose. So um, in 2012, I um, gave birth to my daughter, Serafina. As everybody else, every woman in in Australia, when you're giving birth, you get excited, you're thinking of... um, seeing the baby's face, that's all you think about. You don't think about anything that's going to go wrong. So I went to the hospital. Um, I was 10 days late. And then as we as we start the process, I'm, I've been given, um, induced to for the baby to start to start coming, having the pressure of coming out. We've just gone for so many t- uh, hours. And I could tell in the room something was wrong, but I did not want to focus on that. I just wanted this baby to come out. And my husband was quiet. My mom was quiet, was not looking at my face. There was a huge, um, about seven doctors in the room and everybody was quiet. And I could hear push, push, push. And I remember this doctor walked in, Amanda, who was visiting. She was the managing director and she saw the position that I was in. And I remember hearing her saying, At this time, I didn't know when you have epidural, you can't move. So I remember her her saying clearly, if only she, she was referring to me, if only she can turn because I was lying on my back. So she was saying that as just a conversation, not thinking that I could do it. So I thought that she was telling me to do it. So I immediately flipped. Wow. Yes, I did not know that I could not turn. So I immediately flipped. And because she was not... She didn't know that I was going to do it. She didn't have time to wear gloves. She pulled my baby. Oh. She pulled Sarafina. Sarafina was five kilo. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and my pelvis, as an African woman, we have a small waist. So that was the problem. So she just grabbed the baby because she didn't have time to wear the gloves. And um, obviously, um, Sarafina, her right hand got injury, broken, so which is still uneven, the, the, the two hand, one hand. And as, as the conversation, they kept me in the hospital, thought I uh, will be traumatized, and the conversation kept coming up about maternal health. So four days after, I went home, and I started Googling, what is this word? I was not aware of it, and, and then I um, started seeing just the horror of women dying 
just giving birth, just by giving birth. And for me, it didn't make sense that I was living in the Western world. I had seven doctors in the room. And I'm seeing that in countries like Sierra Leone have less than eight obstetricians, the same population of New South Wales, 7.8 million people. Eight. Oh, let's just say that again. Yes. Eight obstetricians eight. for the entire, compared to the entire population of New South Wales. New South Wales, 7.8 million, yes. Huh. And I just thought, well, this is, this is uh, it was just wrong. And, and it's, it's just wrong in so many ways that this is the beginning of life. You know, we birth human. We bring life into this world. We've all it's been not born. A, we all been and I'm like, this is not a disease. This is just a woman should have a right. And it just came to me that what my father said, now you have a responsibility. It's like what Maya Angela said, when you know better, you do better. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know that I was dyslexic and I know that I can, I'm a storyteller. I can talk to people. I'm like, okay, let me keep telling people what this horror is. And, and we, and professors from UNSW start coming together. And I think every time We'll come together, I'll call back another meeting. I didn't know what they were talking about most of the time. 90% of the time, they were just having conversation and seeing, I can see the seriousness of the conversation. I'm like, this is bad, but we can fix it. We can do something about it, you know? And then I just continue, but it, the plan was not to build a foundation. It was just so why, if I was in Sierra Leone, I would have died. Sarafina would have died, but just because I was here, I'm privileged. I'm a privileged woman because I live in Australia. Um, this should not happen. And then three years after research for three years, then we were asked to set it up as an organization. And we've been going on for six years now. It's a, an extraordinary story. And yes. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about today, right? You know, yes. the, the, how to set up a foundation, how to do international aid, but that's not what we're going to focus on. Okay. Although, although they are good stories and you are more than welcome to, 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 to draw out any elements you want. Mm. The thing that I think is, is really interesting is that you've become a change maker in a new home, mm. that you've you've come from Sierra Leone to Australia, you've found a voice as yeah. a change maker here, and as a change maker here, you're also being a, a change agent for people back in Sierra Leone. Yeah. Like it's this extraordinary sort of bridge yes. that you've built between two countries. <laughs> and let's let's settle into into that. So you came to Australia as a refugee and and you decided to become a change maker, which is wonderful. So it sounds beautiful, simple and and surely it must be easy, right? <laughs> yes. so, so tell tell us how that like how that journey actually mm. went. Like, what were some of the challenges you in, in, have encountered in a country like Australia, both you know before before the foundation and and as you came to set it up? Yes. Uh, well, I, I'm a I'm a visionary. I'm a dreamer, and I don't limit myself. So when I wanted to start the foundation, I immediately said to people, "I'm gonna build a hospital in Sierra Leone." <laughs> And I think um, a lot of people that I spoke to at that time really love, they always love me and care for me. And they were like, yes, that's amazing. That's incredible. But I didn't, I, I didn't know that they didn't believe that I was going to do it. It's not because they didn't believe that I was going to do it. It was complicated. I didn't know the complication part to build an international. I just go like, well, I just want to help someone. How bad can that be? So, and I think that's where I really start feeling the race because obviously I was going beyond 
who people thought I was. I was to speak and share the story. That was all nice and wonderful. It makes people feel fuzzy. I was sharing my story and feel inspiring. But um, the moment I just started going beyond where you have to have a degree, you have to have all this label that I did not have. And I'm not, I was not interested in it. I started feeling, oh, this, I'm, I'm stepping beyond where I should not go for people. And so that was challenging because it was new for me. Race was new for me at that time. When I came to Australia, it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel the racist remarks or anything because I had my father on my shoulder carrying me through life. So it was- But they were. They were, but yeah. now when I look at them, I'm like, oh yeah, but it didn't, I was glad because I was, I was not bothered by it. I just feel like people have an issue, that's their issue, right. <laughs> not mine. But I think setting up the foundation, that was really, a big blow. And then I realized quickly, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to set this up, I, I had to put, get involved, get Australian involved in it, you know, it, because that's what the, the conversation that I'm having, it's giving me that, that, that assumption that who is going to trust you? Wow. Who is going to, yeah, who is going to trust you? You don't have the degree, you're, you're African woman asking Australian for money. So I sensed it, but I didn't really get mad at it and I didn't really want to prove myself, but I just wanted to walk the system because I know there was a system. So how do I walk the system? So building the foundation, my board obviously was uh, full with uh, wonderful people that have loved me and who happen to be Australian. And, um, and I think, as the foundation keep going and meeting people, I realize that, okay, if I have to meet with you, um, 95% or 99% of people that I was meeting were Australian, I have to have somebody that look like them. Right. Yes. So to work the system, to work you, the had system. To, you had to have white people yeah, around. Yeah, I have to have white people. And, but it, and then as, as I bring that on, but what I was getting now at this time, it was more like, I was lucky to have these people, and and which I was, but they were lucky to have me too. They were so lucky to have you. So I was thinking, like, <laughs> they're lucky to have me because this is two way relationship. Mm. And then just the, the the remarks that was coming in, and I remember most of the time, I go like, okay, I gotta bite my tongue and feel and put grace in the middle of not responding because um, learning that also you, you can't respond, you'll be labeled as ungrateful or angry. Yeah. Even when you come to bring your own point across, it comes uh, instead of passion, <laughs> because African we're very passionate and expressive. That is angry. You know, that's too emotional. Well, you tell a story in the book of of uh, a meeting where yes. a, where a woman attacked. Why don't you tell that story now? Well, she was really wanted to be part of the organization. She was yes, yes, very excited. At that time, I I went to the meeting with my with, with one of my board members, and we met at the state library. I will never forget. And we're sitting there. I'm getting all proud, getting excited, saying that Al Jazeera wanna come with us, and and SBS wanna come with us, and I have to choose. I, I like this is impressive. So you're going to Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone for this amazing Leone. documentary, documentary, right? Yes. Huge opportunity for yes. the foundation. And I remember telling her, and she was really she was she was really excited and really supportive. Of of the foundation and as I said oh I'm going with them and she goes to me right in front of my other board member she goes to me if you go to Sierra Leone who believe what you say when you come back and I'm thinking to myself <laughs> I'm like well I'm in my head I'm, I'm trying to process that I'm like what do you mean he said but who, who is going to believe if you go when you're going by yourself who is going to believe and I'm thinking to me, but well, this is your documentary. This is your people that are making this documentary, which you should trust. Uh, they will not put that budget to come with me. 
And I'm trying to process that. And I think my, my board member saw that. And immediately she knew what she meant, what the woman meant and what I'm feeling. But the only way she could step up instead of saying, well, she's Sierra Union and this is a company, she said, immediately put her hand up and said, I'll go with her. And you can just see the atmosphere change of this woman go like, okay, now I can be part of the organization. <sighs> and even after that, you get your focus. You're trying to be focused. You're going. I still called my, my director at that time and I said, did you... I remember she was driving to Canberra and I said, did you understand what she was trying to imply? And she said, yes. And for me, that was so amazing that because you could not even speak up, but you have to tolerate that. Yeah. And I understand it's a system. Yeah, she didn't I'm not challenge. Blaming. She didn't challenge no. the, she guaranteed why the hell that are I'm you going. saying this about yes. someone? She yes. just, she actually fell into it by yes, saying, it's it. okay, a white person is going to go yeah. with her, so with it's her. going to be fine. Yes, and then I, and then I just felt, and and I, and that should have given me a sign that that was going to be a problem because when she joined the board, there was a lot of those things that happened mm. that it came to a time I'm like, no, I love my people, but I love myself too much that I don't care. You can bring 12 million here. I wouldn't want you. I don't yeah. want anybody that doesn't want me. And um, and that 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 was that is a lot of those conversations, the gratitude, and when you're doing the work, you're all doing the work together. You you're building something because you're all in it together. But the impl the implication that you're doing it only because of that person, and because they trust that person, that is something that was very waiting on me that I, um, I could not wait to get out of. So t can you tell me a little bit about, like, it, you're very articulate about how wrong that is and clear yes. and wrong that is, right? <laughs> and, and I'm grateful for that, that, you, that you're being so straight. And I, mm. I'm sure that people who are listening to this are interested about what this means for change. I'm also wondering how you came to, you know, you said that you would have to bite your tongue yeah. to make this thing work. How did the journey go from the the biting of the tongue to, to being able to, to be, to not put up with that kind of behaviour? Well, as anybody else, in my case, I'm a woman of colour and um, we all have a journey where you have to go to where you go like, I'm going to sit on this because next week I will not be in the same position. So I always know what is there for me, what am I, I'm not going to take anymore. I'm not one of those people that will continue with that. Mm. So, But I, also you're strategic, right? Yes, we, well, you have to. Yeah, yeah, you're not being an idiot about <laughs> no, it. You know, no, you're no, wanting no. to set up the foundation <laughs> yes. to save lives in Sierra Leone. Yes. You're not just mucking around. I'm not, I'm, so yeah. the grace is also actually a strategic oh, um, yes. position. It's, yes. not, it's not just, you're not just, being nice, although no. you obviously were choosing, you were picking battles. Yes, you, well, you have to. I think everybody has done it. We all do it in just in a different space and what we're going through in our experience. For me, I know that as a woman of color, there are certain things I cannot say. My People would ask me for my emotion, even though you're, you're insulting my emotion, I'm not allowed to express it. Yeah, how do you feel <laughs> about the fact feel? that I'm being an asshole? Yes, <laughs> I know. So um, I have to really think, but also I have a responsibility now for people, women of color, people who look like me, who are seeing me everywhere and thinking like uh, it's all glorious when it's not. So I wanted to make the place better so that when they come after me or during my time, they're not going to 
pick, uh, keep up with that, with that kind of, uh, tolerate that kind of uh, dehumanizing, because it is really dehumanizing. But I think I have to think about that, because when you have a platform, you have a responsibility. That's just a fact. And for women also in general, and mothers, because that was like your mother, you have two children. You should go take care of you your should, children. Yeah, you should go get an education. I'm like, well, you're educated. You use yours <laughs> in this platform. I don't need to. Um, so, but I had to really be smart with it. And I think, um, but knowing that I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate it. But it's, I think there's a lot of places where I have been, um, I've, my story has been in, in, in the news for a very long time in Australia. And I, and I, Always, it, I, I was not driven, but I'm never driven by fame or being known for uh, Aminata. So because thanks of that. Thanks to your dad, right? Yes, thanks <laughs> to my dad. So because of that, I didn't really, um, my story, I told it little by little. I didn't put it all there. Because I know that Afri women's story, African women's story are always praised, but not valued in the same capacity. Yeah. So I will be asked to go speak somewhere where maybe um, Grace Tim is speaking, but I, they wouldn't want to pay me. <gasps> yeah, so I'll be asked to go to um, to to do things, and you will know that you don't. They don't want to treat you the same way. So those things are oh, very. Wow. So those are, I knew that those things were there. Um, I've been speaking for a very long time in Australia. I only started getting paid when my book came out. But I was. It was not everything that I was doing was not driven by money. I wanted to create, build a legacy that would continue for the people of Sierra Leone. Um, that I might not run one day. I want them to run. So. I had, to, uh, if you know where you want to go, it makes the journey really, uh, you makes it more, you can find more joy in it, frustration, love, <laughs> anger. So you can find all in it and see where, where you want to be in the next five years. So for me, I have always been in control of my story and how I want to tell it and when I want to tell it. So when my book came out, I know I'll put it all there. Then I will not, I will not have to re aim, talk about it anymore. It will focus more on the foundation because then you can read about the book. But uh, you ha I had to be very, very smart the way I do things. Now I can ask to be paid because of, especially after the Black Lives Matter, everybody want to pop a black person on. But also <laughs> after that, I really realize that, okay, now if people are seeing me everywhere, they go like, oh, they think I'm getting the same thing. I wasn't getting the same thing. So now I have a responsibility that I'm not interested in being in a table or sit, have a seat at a table that you don't value who I am. So because I, that table rather be filled with somebody else, I rather stand and hold the door for somebody else to come in. So I can be somebody that stand and listen than being in the table. So I had to think about all those things. Um, I have been in magazine, everything that you would think of in Australia, I have been, but I realized that I was not getting the resource for my foundation. I was getting, I get all the most beautiful quotes or the most inspirational words. That's what we get. You get lots of praise. A lot of praise and it's exhausting because- Oh, you make me cry, Anita. <laughs> you, get, you get a lot of praise and you're carrying that praise and you gotta take it and, and you go like, but you're praising me for something that I'm doing for humanity. And you can give the same capacity yeah. that you give to others. And people don't understand how damaging that is because you're not moving forward. You're really not moving forward. And, and it, it really hurts because, um, and now I challenge that since my national press club, um, address, I really say to Australian, I'm like, now I want you to choose me, not because 
I'm a black woman or because of my story. I want you to choose me because I have character. I have integrity and I am I am smart and I am a, I'm a genuinely kind person. I want you to choose me for those reasons. Yeah. But don't say, oh, we're putting another campaign. Let's plus another black woman there. And who do we know come up? Aminata. So I'm very, more, very much more intentional. I've always been intentional, but your intention grows as you grow. And, and I think that's been painful. And now when I speak, I always say to people, and I've caught a lot of people who have come up to me and said that was confronting, but thank you. I've said to people, if I was a white woman, Imagine me in, imagine me in a big um, room of maybe the ICC building, having long and speaking and talking about what I've done with the foundation in the past six years, and just picture me as a white woman, and I'll bite you. Every company in there, about sixty percent, will put me on as a partnership, in partnership or sponsor partnership. Every time I do that, and I've speaking in a lot of big places. I would get that inspirational words. And I don't need, I really honestly, I'm grateful for it, but I don't need it because I know I'm a good person. I know mm. I'm an inspirational person, not just to people, but to yeah. myself. I know all, all I'm trying to do is contribute. So you've got a purpose. I've got a purpose. not about and getting praise. Yes, it's really not. Mm-hmm. It's flattering and critic. It really doesn't do anything for me. Even when you say something bad about me, like it really doesn't. But I just want the resource to be able to do. I, I, I'm not being greedy. Don't give me the same percentage you would give any other organization. Just give me 1%, you know, so I can do, mm. so we can do this. Not even I, we can do this because I cannot do it alone. But it limits so much, so many times to people of color not to be able to progress or make change, not for themselves, for the universe. What I'm doing is about the universe. It's not for me. It's not for Sierra Leonean. It's so that women don't die unnecessarily. Just doing by... something that everyone yes. has experienced. Everyone has experienced. And that's all I'm asking for. So now I really ask for that. And I really say, oh, you, should sp- you, you should sponsor because you sponsor that organization. And I know if you Google Right there in Australia, and you look at any organization that's working in Africa that is founded and run by a black woman or black person, I promise you, you'll be hard to find. While in the UK, in America, and this is just a fact, it's not a bashing, but I want people to look into that. You know, but if I go to the same company that sponsors any organization that's run by white women that are working in Africa, they would tell me that they are all about sustainability and um, mental health. And now I question people. Now you tell me about mental health. That's nice. That's wonderful. It's a, it's a really good cause. But how do you feel about a nine-year-old girl that's pregnant and that's in the sleep, sleeping in the street? What do you think happened with their mental mind? That's right. Where does, it, where does the mental ill health come yes. from? It comes from social... Yeah. So that's the space where I am now mm. with grace again, but tell the truth and knowing that people are open, starting to be open more to hear the truth. And that's where I am very grateful for that 23 years of journey being in Australia. That's where I'm at because I'm not interested anymore to just play that mm. part of things. So it's like you have set up this organisation mm. now. You bit your tongue. It's been able to come to life. <laughs> yes. And now you're picking a different battle. Yes, you're I am. picking a different battle to, in a sense, this is my language, you're now making change to how change makers are able to thrive and yes, rise. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so just not good enough. It's not good enough. And I tell people really now, I said, 
I, I really don't want to be your inspirational. I'm, I, I want a resource. I can't do this. And um, that's that's and and then I have to understand the language of corporate too because coming from Sierra Leone, we, we, um, from uh, where I come from, we tell the story and people react. Here, yeah, you have to learn the corporate language. So I'm learning the corporate language, sustainable giving, uh, because one off is not good enough. And 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 the, and the wonderful, the most incredible thing about the foundation is everybody relates. And they have to relate because everybody comes out of a woman, you know. So everybody relates. So that's what was confusing for me. I could see that they were passionate about what I'm doing. Mm. It was not like they were just giving me. If somebody is just saying, oh, you're incredible and they're passionate about um, building wealth, that's so good, you know. Give there. But they believe in what I'm doing. But the fact that I know that you will not invest in me because I don't look like you, that's where it hurts. That's where it really, really hurts because I cannot even look after myself and my family or, or you telling me the nice words are not paying my bill. You know, they're not paying, they're not giving me the time for me to do what I'm supposed to do. So I think that's where the hurt is. I don't, like, there's so many incredible things that are happening in organization. That's all well. Like, I support other organizations. But when I know that you, that, that is coming from a really strong place and then you're not reacting because of that because I yeah. don't look because you don't trust me because I don't look like you. Yeah, it's That's, a different. And what I'm hearing, it's the difference between you talked about the racism that you experienced. You talk about lots yeah. of experiences of racism in your early days in Australia, and and in some ways it was it was horrible, but it yeah. didn't it didn't no. hurt you. But no, it this, didn't touch me. This hurt. this when it was actually stopping the mm. ability for your foundation mm. to succeed, it yeah. was actually holding back the an incredibly important purpose. Yeah. Then. And that's when it was like, this is yeah. enough. And I've done it all the right way. I have really done it the right way. And I have so much resource of information that Australians, like when you look at the documentary and the book, so many things that I've done. But also you don't need to be defensive. Of I, course no, you bloody well did it the right way. But yes. the fact is, is that this situation mm. of this prejudice yes. is is for, is pushing you yeah. to, to, to defend what is an extraordinary thing. And it's done so beautifully that you can react. I think that's the pain because you feel stuck. Yeah. Because the moment you react, <laughs> people disappeared. Yes. Yeah. They, they, like, that's the one thing about in, in, in the culture that we live in Australia. You can have challenging conversations. Even when I think of my book, most of the interviews that I've had, they've never touched on race or things. It, it's almost want to focus on my story, the past, which, again, my past has not really made me and handicapped, it's really giving me more strength. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so enabled you to do everything. On, if yeah. you were to focus on, if you read Grace Ten book, you will not focus on what they've done, what happened to her. You focus on what she's doing now. Yeah. So the story is there. You've read it. Let's focus on what I'm doing. And I, and I think that Australia, Australia, in, as a community, embraced the book. But most of the interview that I was doing, I'm like, focus on what I'm doing, the change that I'm trying to make with you people, with everyone, because I can't do it alone. Mm. You know, the vision was there and I just took it on, but it's not really, I'm a founder and stuff. So I don't try to call myself so much as a founder than somebody who is really simply trying to restore dignity because everybody was born with dignity and just you know, to restore that. And like what you described in terms of the mental mental health issues in Sierra Leone and the mm. fact that they're socially caused, right? Yes. You know, they're socially, yeah. if, you can't, if, you, if you can't have access to proper maternal, maternal health, that's going to give you 
bad mental health, yes. right? That yes. they're socially caused. I think it's also a case that a stru- maybe a country like Australia, not maybe, yeah. that a country like Australia needs to face up to the, the social causes that sit in our environment yes. around racism yes. that are holding people back. Well, not even, they're not actually holding you back, but they're, yeah. they're, they're, but they're, they're frustrating yeah. your ability to carry out a purpose. You know, in in many ways, you're. I feel like part of your change making is not only opening a door mm. for other women of colour, people of colour to walk in and make the change making space more diverse, but it's to agitate all of Australian culture to go. Yeah. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I believe that is part of that because, I'm, I, as I said, I'm not really interested in the table. I, it, it wasn't built for me for somebody that looked like me. I know that. I'm, I'm not like one of those people, oh, I'm hanging out with this person or this celebrity and go like, oh, that means I'm get. And that's what I'm trying to change for my people too because they see me a lot on things. And I'm trying to go like, that shows a picture that all is well. Mm. So I'm, I'm being more cautious as the way I am with these people. But when I'm there, when I'm in that room, when I'm with around really powerful women, I'm not dumb enough to make people go like, oh, that means I'm getting everything that yeah. I want. And not that I'm saying I should get everything that I want, but I am working for it. So that is also what I'm very intentional with myself, trying to be clear that because I know that person, because I'm with that person, because I'm in the same room with them, doesn't mean that I'm yeah. getting it. Well, you know, you may or may, or may not have heard this quote from this famous um, civil rights activist, Audrey Lord, but she I said, she said <laughs> that you can't dismantle, you know, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, right? You need yeah. a different, it's like what you're describing, yeah. we need a different table. We need a different table. We need a different table. Maybe the table needs to be painted something different. And I think for the people who are in that table, this is what I'm trying to also work with. The people who are in that table have to really think about what do they want to see in the next three years or five years? Because we still, I believe that we're still in the same table and having the same conversation. And and what the word diversity or inclusion has brought in is, which is now also like a Polish word so that everybody can tick their boxes, is when you have people that think differently, you, you, you're able to move forward, you know? And... Um, and what diversity has done is it's also kind of whitewash things because everybody have diversity in the mission in their, in the mission statement. <laughs> and I and I said, you if you want me to belong, I have to believe that I belong. That's not just me; it's a human feeling. You can say I belong. You can say I'm included, but I can sit there. And don't believe it because you know I know the feeling of not believing it. My opinion doesn't matter. My opinion is not counted for. So you have somebody people have to really believe for them to feel belong. And and, and I think maybe I feel like some corporates are changing that and they're going back and go like, wow, this diversity thing is not working. We have uh, one Asian, one Indian, one black person in the picture. And and I never knew noticed that most of these pictures that people have, actually they have to buy it. That is something I just realized a couple of months last year. Stock photos. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> it was a thing. That's incredible. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I was like, oh, and somebody was, a friend of mine was doing like a, a new marketing stuff. And I'm like, oh, how do you know those people? It's like, oh, you just buy them. <gasps> I was like, wow, this is inc- this is this is. What I always say to my friend whenever I'm talking, I'm like, that's beautiful. Like the the imagination for you to think that you have to buy photos yeah. to put in a catalog so that you 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 translate that yeah. to diverse. It's just beautiful art. That's. 
that's wicked. That how do people think about that? How do you make change with that? Yeah. You know, it's cynicism <laughs> squared, right? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I don't think people should change it. But I'm just thinking, like, wow, that that just happened. Imagine I just if you just actually that. had like a diverse workforce, and then you could take photos of them. Then, yes, you know, it may, I mean that would be wacky, but I didn't true. Know that was a thing. I'm like, wow, I just started leaving. <laughs> Oh gosh! I mean, this is this is a spectacular conversation. I guess if we would, if, uh, as as we come towards the end, mm. I might ask you to think. So, you know, if you were to whisper mm. in the ear of Aminata as she got off the plane yeah. in Sydney in 2000, knowing what you know now and knowing that even at that time, even if you didn't know exactly what you were going to do, that you had this desire to cause change in the world. What is the one piece of advice that you would plant in your younger self's ear? Oh, one piece of advice. I think I, I, I will still say what I've, what I've said to Aminata, especially with my story, what I've been through. I always wanted to live life fully. I wanted to live life fully and widely. And I think I believe even the foundation and what I'm doing is a bonus to, to my life. It's not really doesn't define me. I always, and that's why I forgave what happened to me, but I always truly, uh, I'm, a, I'm a wild human, you know? I'm, I, I think of myself when you give birth to a child, they come out screaming, that's me. So, um, and that advice I will always continue to give the Aminata, not to forget to have, to fully live life because I have fought to survive in the way that I can't even imagine. Most of the 95% of the time, I don't believe that I'm here. I don't believe that I fought that hard to survive. And I will not give anyone the satisfaction to take that away from me. And that will always be the person, the way I want to be remembered. Not so much what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing, first of all, I will not do it without people. But I'm able to do what I'm doing because I choose to live my life fully, wildly, and freely, and and. Dad has liberated me, and that's the advice I will always go down with. Oh, my goodness. What an <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary piece of advice. I think we could all take yeah. on I take on some of that fighting spirit. Thank you so much Thank for sharing all you. of your insights and experience with us today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate this time. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is Series 7, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. To read more about Aminata, go grab her book, Rising Heart. Changemakers is produced by Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Walker. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for updates and transcripts on all of our stories. 